Securities and investment advisory services offered through Next Financial Group mem member FINRA SIPIC. Texas Hill Country Advisors is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group. This material is not intended as an offer or solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security or other financial instrument. Past performance does not guarantee future performance. All the views expressed are those of Andrew Gay and Gilbert Pies and Texas Hill Country Advisors and not those of Next Financial Group. The S&P 500 is a market cap weighted index composed of the common stocks of 500 leading companies in leading industries of the U.S. economy, and the Dow Jones Industrial Average is a price weighted index of 30 actively traded blue chip stocks. All right, we are live. Welcome, welcome everybody. Uh, welcome to the Texas Hill Country Advisors podcast where we discuss financial education, the stock market, the economy, and how they may apply to you. Um, I am your host, Andrew Gay, and this is my Bilber, uh, business partner, Gilbert Pies. Were you going to say Bilbert? Bilbert. <laughs> Bilbert. I, I've been called worse Dilbert? things. Dilbert? Isn't that a cartoon somewhere? I, I think so. Dilbert? Yeah. I think so. Well, I've been called worse things, so that's okay. Well, uh, good evening. It's Monday. Yes. Um, November 15th. It's about 6 p.m. in Kerrville, Texas. So uh, we're going to, Gilbert and I uh, are going to kick this off with a little market summary of last week. Um, and then we're going to move right into our term of the week. I think last time I said term of the day, but obviously if we're going to do this <laughs> on a weekly basis, that would be term of the week. Uh, last week we talked about inflation and this week we're going to talk about fixed income. So without further ado, so market cap from last week uh, all three indexes the Dow S&P and Nasdaq finished positive at the end of last week um, as well as uh, uh, crude and the 10-year Treasury and we're gonna talk about those we're gonna get into those a little bit uh, deeper here in just a little bit but we wanted to spit off some year-to-date numbers too um, we didn't do that last time but we kind of wanted to get in the habit of doing that the Dow currently is sitting at 36,100.31 and year-to-date that's up 17.95 percent the S&P is sitting at 4,682.85 and that is up 24.67 percent year-to-date oh and I might add these numbers are from Friday so this is not including today's trading day and the Nasdaq was sitting at 15,860.96 which is up 23.06 uh, percent for the year and crude oil was sitting at 80.83 a barrel which is up 66.63 percent uh, for the year and the 10-year US Treasury is sitting at 1.582 as of last Friday which is up 72.52 percent for the year um, so it's you don't have to be a rocket science to, to, to look at those numbers and go, wow, 72 percent is obviously the highest. So and that's floating around the 10 year Treasury. Right. Yeah. So we're going to we're going to kind of get into some of that since we talked about inflation uh, last week. Um, and that typically if you listen to our discussion from last week, you know that that the the interest, uh, the inflation outlook and interest rate markets um, and thus the bond market are uh, usually correlated. So. We did have a CPI number, which is the Consumer Price Index number, came in last Wednesday. Last time when we did this, we, it was prior to that, so we, we thought that uh, we kind of discussed that a little bit and thought that the expectation was that it was going to be um, relatively a hot number, it's a little right. high. Came in higher than expectations. The the um, annualized economist prediction was 5.9, and it came in at 6.2 annualized rate, um, and that's the Consumer Price Index. So a lot of people look at that as an inflation uh metric so if if prices are rising which is what that metric measures then um, we're having inflation right yes 
All right. So that was a quick little market recap from where we were at last week um, and how we finished the in, uh, end of last week. Um, so we're going to jump right into our discussion tonight. Um, we kind of hit on the 10-year treasury, but maybe that'll be a big or a nice uh, uh, tee up for what we're about to discuss. That fly is driving me nuts. <laughs> he likes me. You didn't take a bath today. That's what I it is. Brush my teeth or something. <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, so, so fixed income. Uh, let's. We're gonna we're gonna kick this off. I'm gonna read a little definition here, um, and this is from our friends at Investopedia. And this is uh, equity markets versus fixed income markets. So when we say fixed income, what we're generally talking about, right, or is is the bond market, but it's more than just bonds. Right. Right. Um, so the major differences between the oh, an equity market. When we're talking, when we say equities, it's that can be interchangeable with stocks. So when we're talking about equity markets, we're talking about the stock market generally. Uh, the major differences between equity and fixed income markets are the types of securities traded within those markets, the accessibility of those markets uh, for investors, the level of risk, uh, the expected returns within each of those markets, the goals of investors that participate in each of those markets, and the strategy used by the market participants in the res respective markets. Stock trading dominates equity markets, while bonds are the most common security in fixed income markets. Individual investors often have better access to equity markets than fixed income markets. Equity markets offer higher expected returns than fixed income markets, but they also carry higher risk. Equity market investors are typically more interested in capital appreciation and pursue more aggressive strategies than fixed income market investors. All right, one more. The bond market is where investors go to trade, which is buy and sell debt securities, right? So a bond is a debt security, and the other fixed income securities that we're going to kind of talk about today um, are would be considered some kind of debt security if they are uh, found inside the, the fixed income market. So the bond market particularly is where uh, investors go to buy and sell debt securities, predominantly bonds, which may be issued by corporations or governments. The bond market is also known as the debt or credit market. Securities sold on the bond market are all various forms of debt, so not just bonds. By buying a, by buying a bond, credit, or debt security, you are lending money for a set period and charging interest the same way a bank does for its debtors. All right. Yeah, I, I think the best... And the easiest way to think of that is if you're going to be an equity investor, a stockholder, that means you're going to be an owner of the company. So you have, you're an entitled to a share of the profits or losses from that company uh, when it comes to whether or not they're growing their profits. If you're a bondholder, you're not a owner of the company or the entity that issues the bond, but you're a, a, a lender that's lending them money and you expect to get your money back, whether or not that company is profitable is not your uh, concern. You just want to make sure that you get your money back and some interest while you lend them your money. Right, right. Big, big difference. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and uh, as we talked about last week, the bond market is about three times as big as the equity market. But because most people think all they hear about is the stock market, they think the stock market is a bigger market. But it's not. It's, it's actually smaller, a lot smaller than the bond market. Right, right. Um, and and I think, uh, you know, you have the narrative around stocks that trade on central exchanges, right? And, and a lot of the bond or fixed income market doesn't necessarily do that, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, and the other thing, too, with bonds is 
they, they tend to be your safe money. They tend to be the place you go when you want to make sure that your uh, money is protected. You're, you're never going to get a share of the growth, so they tend right. to be very conservative or more conservative anyway than the equity play. So um, that, that's why a lot of people don't really get real excited when you talk about bonds. And interestingly enough, our discussion last week about inflation impacts the value of bonds and fixed income securities in general because generally when interest rates and inflation yeah. go up the value of bonds tends to drop off a little bit um it it's it's not a hundred percent correlated and interestingly enough in the fixed income world um when inflation and interest rates go up the value of these other bonds can go up there's there's many many different kinds of fixed right. income instruments and they don't all act the same but generally speaking that that's their characteristic <clears throat> yeah so um you know from the investor perspective if i'm looking at making a uh, an investment in the fixed income space it it i don't participate necessarily in the growth that maybe that company has because i'm not considered an owner right, right. we talk about gilbert and i talk about something called the capital structure of a company so if you think about a hierarchy um in in order of who would get paid out essentially if this if you know company xyz went bankrupt um, the higher you are on that hierarchy means the stronger your claim is to those assets in say liquidation of that company so bonds are always higher on the list all things being equal than ownership or equity right 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 yeah most people when we talk about investing the, the biggest concern they have is losing all of their money. But like we tell people, you're, you're not really worried about losing all of your money because that's a very unlikely proposition. But in the case that it did happen, if you're a bondholder, you are first in line to get some money back. Um, it, it may not be 100 cents on the dollar, but it'll be something. Um, if you're an equity investor, the stock investor, you're the last in line. And you'll get right. nothing if that company goes out of, out of business or has some kind of a financial trouble. So you've got to be mindful of that. And that's why uh, fixed income investing tends to be where people put their conservative money. Um, interestingly enough, though, as, as we talked to last week, interest rates right now are at historic lows. And you're, you're not going to make much. Um, you'll, you'll be lucky to uh, beat inflation. Yeah. Um, and, and right now, because inflation's so high, there's no way you're going to beat inflation at current interest rates. So uh, you, you have to take into account your desire for return for the amount of return that you can possibly get. And then, of course, too, the rate of inflation. It's, it's just really, really tough. Um, and because, we, as we talked about, too, last week, interest rates are likely to go up, you have to be mindful of the fact that if rates go up substantially, uh, and you buy a bond today, you could be pretty sad um, right. holding that bond next year if rates go up uh, a lot. So you got to be careful with that. But part of our job as a financial advisor is to um, take those things into account. And when we make recommendations, talk to you about those risks, because every investment has some risks. We just have to be able to manage them. And then you as the investor have to have a clear understanding of what's the potential here of me losing some of my principal if I have to get out early? Um, right. Because as you're, as you're saying that, I'm thinking if I'm, you know, you know, you and I keep a really close eye on, on 
you know, and I know I'm sitting here asking you questions like we don't talk about this daily, but I, we, we, we watched the 10 year treasury and, you know, we started the year around, you know, under 1%, right. On right. Uh, yield on the 10 year treasury. And, uh, you know, it went up to almost 1.7 over the summer and then it's dropped back down. And now we're almost, we're at like 1.6 almost right now. I think so, yeah. so as a, from an investor perspective, I see that and I'm kind of getting nervous, right? Cause I'm thinking if I understand the mechanics of bond pricing, fixed income markets, I know that as that thing rises, you know, if, I, if I'm already allocated, whatever I'm allocated to the fixed income si- side of my portfolio, I know that it might be at a risk of going down. So that makes me nervous as an investor. Sure, right? sure. As an investor, what you want to do is make sure that you get your principal back and some interest. And, and if you hold a bond for a set period of time, most bonds are issued with a, a maturity date. If you hold that bond to maturity, you'll get your principal back. But... Um, you're also going to have to be mindful of the fact that between the time you buy it and the time it matures, the value of that bond can fluctuate quite a bit based on what interest rates are doing and inflation is. Um, you, you've got to be very, very careful. So let's let's say, for example, you started with a $50,000 bond and you bought it today, at today's historic low interest rates, and this bond is going to mature in 10 years. Um, you, you have to know that that 50000 you start with today Next year might be worth forty-eight thousand, might be worth forty-two thousand, might be worth sixty thousand. It's all going to be based on what happens with inflation uh, and interest rates. But it's also going to—they're uh, still going to pay you interest based right. on your original bond amount. So, if you were getting, say, for example, one percent uh, on a bond, you're still going to get the same five hundred dollar interest payment. Never mind what the value of that bond is. It, right. it can fluctuate all over the place, but you're still going to get the same amount of interest. So if you can afford to wait, it's the best thing to do, especially if the value drops. But um, if, if you start getting nervous and panic and you sell the bond when it drops in value, you're going to be taking a loss, and, and that's not what anybody wants to see. So, um, and, and besides, right now, we wouldn't be recommending anybody buy a 10-year bond. That's awfully right. long time uh, to get very little interest rate. Um, CDs are are very similar to bonds. Generally, CDs though are, are one to five year, maybe ten year instruments too. But well, and they're FDIC insured. And they're FDIC insured for sure. Um, the best rate we could find on a CD for somebody last week was point one five for one year. Right. You know that that is that is horrible, and and so it's not a that would not be a recommendation that we would consider. So like yeah, and and. Um, you know, also from the, from the investor perspective, if, if I am making an investment in something and I think there's little chance that I'm going to grow my principal amount of investment, um, possibly even lose some over time, why would I make that investment? Right. right. But the fixed income side of things, the bond side of things, as you were just explaining, has an answer for that, right? Sure. Because you collect the coupon right. or the interest payment over time. So, um, I'm not, therefore, as, as an investor, I'm not really in that investment for growth, right? Right, right. You're simply in, in the fixed income security for relative stability of your principal with uh, some assurance, hopefully, at the end that you get back your original amount that you've invested, and you're collecting some interest while you're waiting for that time to be over right. with. So b- bonds make a lot of sense. There's a lot of good reasons to be there. But um, you, you have to have an understanding that there's some uh, risk involved. And 
if you don't understand the risk, it's probably not something you should be doing. Okay, well, you, you dropped the R word, so we're going we're gonna to take that and run with it, the risk. Okay. So um, that's usually a, 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 a can be a part of an investor's portfolio that they maybe uh, sometimes overlook uh, because it's masked so well is the risk, right? right? So um, we can't make the segue into this, this part of the discussion without mentioning Harry Markowitz, right? Uh, Mr. Modern Portfolio Theory himself. Um, and if you don't know who that is, that's definitely worth a Google. Um, you know, the the correlation. So so we'll put it this way. So there's four there's four capacities of fixed income or four roles of fixed income that you and I talk about, right? And those are diversification away from equities or stocks, uh, preservation of capital, providing income, and inflation protection. Um, you know, so so kind of what we what we've already discussed is hit on all three if not four of those um already up to this point right so so the diversification away from equities what we're really talking about is the correlation right, right. the fact that the bond market is not the stock market right, right? And, and generally speaking when stocks go up bonds go down and vice versa when uh, bonds go up stocks go down and so you you invest in the bonds to lend some stability to your portfolio yeah um yeah so and, and that was like harry markowitz biggest discovery right was that the lower like depending on asset allocation um and correlation between those asset classifications you can uh lower uh, a portfolio a portfolio's overall volatility right right uh el numero dos preservation of capital so we kind of already hit on this one too um but that's that's one of the biggest roles of fixed income that you and I see um, next to the diversification. Both of those, I guess, you could kind of say there's some overlap there. Sure, maybe. sure. Um, you know, with the the preservation of capital is is really something that people are concerned about. They want to make sure that what they start with, they're going to have at the very end of when they need it. So, uh, bonds give you the ability to structure a portfolio so that when you need the money it can be coming due. So as an example, uh, there's something called a laddered portfolio that we could set up for people. A laddered portfolio is simply purchasing bonds that come due in different years, like a ladder. You buy a one-year bond, a two-year bond, a three-year bond, a four-year bond, and so on, like a ladder that steps up. So a a real simple bond ladder would be uh, 10 bonds, one of them coming due every single year, and that money, as it comes due, you can use it or reinvest it. It's a, it's a pretty good hedge against rising interest rates, which is something that is a big concern right now. And it's an assurance that you'll have your money now, assuming that the bond that you buy actually pays off. Um, you know, so we, we would just have to be mindful of that. But the ability to have the income, the assurance of income, uh, is something that people really, really look at when it comes to bond and bond investing. Well, and then there's there's another uh, conversation piece there, I think, too, that I've had plenty of times over and you have as well. But um, once you when you enter the world of investing, there's there's a there's a spectrum, right? It's a scale. So there's not just um, 
equity investments and things that are on the aggressive side of the scale, there's a whole other side of the of the equation there, sure. um, which is you know conservative investments, right? So even though investments aren't guaranteed, there's still a scale or a spectrum there um, with any and all different you know investments all up and uh, all and down along that I can't talk <laughs> all up and down <laughs> along that spectrum. So. Uh, yeah, so I wanted to mention that. And the other the other thing you mentioned too uh, was was in a way credit ratings. It was, you hinted sure. at that, right? So, um, and that's a that tends to be a bigger deal in bond land, right? Than maybe elsewhere in other markets. So, you want you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I, I like the way you put that uh, a spectrum because not all bonds are the same. Uh, you have very conservative bonds. You have uh, moderately conservative bonds and you have some bonds on the high end of the scale um, and because there's so many different types of bonds there's uh, municipal bond there's corporate bonds government bonds uh, there's uh, floating rate bonds there's preferred stocks there's um, <laughs> I, you know if I if I sat and thought about it a little more I could probably come up with at least 12 different types of bonds out there and they're all different for a reason and so you know, the, the spectrum is important, and if you're looking at something that's pretty conservative uh, versus something that's high risk, how do you measure what's conservative and high risk in, in the right. world of bonds? Well, it's, it's pretty simple. There's uh, ratings. Uh, ratings are a, are a factor in, in things that we look at because a rating is usually issued by a third party. The more popular ones that are rating companies that are out there are S&P and Moody's and Fitch. These three companies uh, take money from the issuers and rate the bond. They'll, they'll tell you and the general public what the rating of the bond is, whether it's a high rating, like a triple A is usually the highest rating. Um, and, and then they have different rating system that will grade the bond from highest Boy, that, that bug is now on me. What is well, he? he only I know. <laughs> what, he what's likes the problem you now. There? I know, I guess. At least somebody likes me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now he's in my hair. Oh, my gosh. Um, so the ratings go from AAA all the way down to uh, default and everything in between. So we use those ratings to analyze how good or how conservative or risky a bond is. Uh, and, and those things are not the only tool that you use to make that determination, but it's a tool. It's a tool that you use to look at and say, okay, how can I grade the difference between a municipal bond issued by the state of Texas versus a municipal bond issued by the state of Illinois? Well, you can use ratings as a, as a mechanism to do that. It's not the only thing that, that will determine um, how good the bond is, but it's, it's worthwhile. Yeah, because like, what if that's me, right? I'm the investor, and I got all the way down to where I know that I'm I'm trying to make an investment in a municipal, um, a municipality, right? Mm -hmm. And I have no idea to I don't know anything about running a state, right? right. So, right. Um, it can give some insight into um, analysis about ratings are useful. The municipality. It's not the only thing we use, but it 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 helps it helps us make a determination. Um, all right. So number three. Uh, is providing income. So we talked about the diversification away from equities, preservation capital, and this is providing income. Pretty self-explanatory. Right. Um, not right. much to, to touch on there, I don't think. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> what what prevents me as an investor going, well, 
why can't I just find the highest yielding bond? Why wouldn't, if I'm, if, you know, if I'm going to live off that income or I'm actually using the income, why wouldn't I want to just go buy, find the highest yielding bond? Well, good, good question. And, and of course, um, as we touched on a little earlier, uh, the rating of the bond, the more conservative or the safer the bond, the less the issuer is going to be willing to pay you. So uh, a bond in, in that's issued by a high-grade credit company is going to maybe pay you 2%, and uh, a bond issued by a company that's near bankruptcy might pay you 7%. If you're just looking at the coupon, the interest rate that they're paying you, that's really not the best way to analyze whether or not a bond is good because uh, you may be getting 7%, but who cares if you're losing 100% of your principal? Um, it goes back to the risk thing that yes, we mentioned and absolutely. how it's kind of masked, right? Absolutely. So like in the portfolio, the one of the most overlooked um, factors is risk because you can't really see it, right? That's right. Um, super important. So... Um, so it's not it's not the the interest rate that you receive from the investment in the fixed income space is not the whole story. Right. 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 Uh, and then inflation protection. So that was number four. So you know, I think last week you mentioned um, a specific uh, type of U.S. bond sure. that would help an investor keep up with uh, inflation concerns right yeah you know um, we, we spoke about it last week but there's there's some bonds that actually do really well when inflation or interest rates are, go, are going up uh, one of those is treasury inflation protected securities they pay you an interest rate based on whatever um, inflation rate is uh, and then there's something called floating rate bonds these are bonds that pay you a interest rate that's floats so it can go up or down depending on what interest rates are doing and so if interest rates are going up, that might be a good place to be. Now, I think when I say that, most people might say, oh, why don't I just switch my whole bond portfolio to a floating rate bond? Exactly. <laughs> That's not that uh, easy because uh, floating rate bonds tend to be uh, less credit worthy than other types of loans because if, if you, know, you think about it, who are the companies that would agree to a floating rate interest loan well, right. those are the companies that need the money the most, the, and they can't get a fixed rate loan from somebody else. So it, it's, it's not as simple as just taking your whole portfolio and putting it into floating rate right. bonds. That's not, that's not probably the best thing to do. Um, so once again, it's not always the full story. Right, right, right. Plus, it sounds like, depending on my specific situation, uh, it could make sense to have a slice of that in what I'm doing, and it sure. could not. just depends on... The, the investor, right? That's what that's when a professional financial advisor can give you that recommendation. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for taking the bait. Walked right down that path. Yes, you over the door. I walked through it. That's all I did. Yeah, and just I, I don't think we said anything about that. But just so everyone knows that um, this is definitely a part of of Gilbert and mine's Texas Hill Country Advisors marketing strategies. Doing this podcast because we want to get our name out there, and we think that that benefits us from a business perspective. But also, financial education is so near and dear to our hearts, and we have personal experiences um, with that, and how powerful that can be in people's lives. That we really there is a, a, a give back element to to what we're doing. Absolutely. So, yeah, we're. we're uh, our focus is education. We want, we want to empower people to make informed decisions, and the only way you can really make an informed decision, at least in in our minds, is by having information. And if you, you can Google stuff, you can check Wiki, Wikipedia, you can research all you want, but sometimes it's really hard to separate the fact from the fiction. And 
um, the truth is usually somewhere in the middle. So that's kind of what we do. We we can separate the facts from the, from the fiction for you, and then we can make a recommendation that's suited to your needs. Because a lot of times you find uh, uh, information on the internet, and <laughs> it it might apply, it might not, and and then knows? it always depends on your situation, yes, right? The absolutely. answer is always it depends. Yes. Right. Yes. Um. Great. Great. Uh, thank you guys so much for watching. We hope that you continue to find our podcast educational and enjoyable, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us.